Hey, and welcome to Free Willing with Cardin Podcast. I'm your host, Cardin Wyckoff, and we share stories of people with disabilities, talk about inclusive practices, and share experiences with adaptive equipment and break down stigmas and barriers for people with disabilities. Today, I have Lance Kestrel Johnson, who is a 30-year-old transplant from North Carolina living in Brooklyn, New York, where he works as a video editor. Lance has a degenerative eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa, also called RP for short. RP is a degenerative eye disease, which over time causes a loss of vision. Symptoms include trouble seeing at night and decreased peripheral vision, which is your side vision. As peripheral vision worsens, some people may experience tunnel vision. For Lance, he currently has most of his central vision and has difficulty seeing at night. Since he was diagnosed with a disability, it has made him interested in the disability community as a whole. And he went on to be an advocate to create a podcast called The See Through Podcast, where he discusses various topics of interest with people from the disability community, similar to myself. So it was really great to interview another disability podcaster. And also, if you haven't downloaded the app iAccess Life, it's a mobile app found on Google Play and iTunes App Store, where you can rate interview places on accessibility in the built environment to break down those barriers. Use referral code CARDEN, which is my name when signing up. All right, going to kick it off with the episode with Lance. Hey, Lance, thanks for joining the podcast. How's it going? Hey, Cardin. It feels good to be on uh, this side of things. Yeah, it's so great. We had an awesome conversation. For those who don't know, I was on Lance's podcast, the See Through podcast, just the other week. And we are both podcasters doing like a flip-flopping, of just podcasters who have disabilities and sharing each other's stories on each other's platforms to just increase awareness and broaden that reach. So check out my episode on Lance's and then and then you'll be hearing from Lance's point of view here. So Yeah, this is my first uh, podcast interview ever, so. Oh, wow. I feel so honored. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's kind of weird, right, being on the other side of it. It's it just feels a different weird. flow. It's funny cuz right right up to this moment I I was like I was like, man, I feel nervous. It's like yeah. I hope I I hope I say stuff that's interesting. I hope I'm interesting enough to like so, someone to listen to me talk. There's a lot of pressure. But yeah, there is, especially because you don't know how the interviewer necessarily is going to ask certain questions. Yeah, what curveballs are you going to throw ahead of time? Oh, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. What'd you say? Yeah, what curveballs are you going to throw me? <laughs> All kinds of things. no my I think some of our listeners know my brain just operates at like a million miles an hour so I just have I never really like to ask questions and and like send them off I used to do that in my very early episodes and then I realized it just was like very choppy but it just it flows better with just the way that my brain operates in all weird ways whatever works and I'm still learning how how to interview on my end. Like sometimes I have the questions kind of laid out on my end and then mm-hmm. the interview starts and then 
I basically abort the mission of those questions. And, <laughs> and, and sometimes I end up going almost like a script through the question. So it's, it is, it is, I feel like it's dependent on your mood and who you're interviewing. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Especially the person that you're interviewing, I think plays a big impact on that just because it's, you don't know. Sometimes they're very conversational and they can talk for an entire hour. And I've had guests that it's like pulling teeth, trying to get answers more than just five seconds so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who are and, who are those guests? Let's call them out. No. <laughs> Every interview is unique and important and empowering. <laughs> nah, yeah, yeah. I'm just messing. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into what our listeners want to hear. And that is your story of strength. And um, we understand from the intro that you have retinitis pigmentosa which is an eye, a genetic and degenerative eye disorder. And let's, let's hear your story about that. Yep. So uh, retinitis pigmentosa, you know, similar to, uh, you know, I still can't pronounce uh, FSHD, uh, the, oh, the type the of spe- muscular dystrophy that I have. <laughs> the specific word. I still can't pronounce yours. It's okay. But yeah. So, <laughs> Similar to that, it's a kind of a mouthful, you know, retinitis pigmentosa. Yeah, and I, I was diagnosed with it when I was around 12 years old. And it's an odd diagnosis. It wasn't because I was having any symptoms. It was just because my mom has retinitis pigmentosa. And, you know, and oh yeah, for the record, people call retinitis pigmentosa R- RP for short. So I'll probably start using that. Just to okay. make it easier on my my uh, tongue. But, yeah, it's a mouthful. So yeah, my mom has RP. So I think it was just on my like eye optometrist's radar to kind of keep an eye out for, I guess, red flags. And at twelve, I they noticed some red flags. So and this was like, like my local eye eye doctor, and they wanted me to get, I guess, looked at by a specialist. So I went to an eye specialist, a retina specialist, and they confirmed that I had inherited RP from my mom. And I was 12 years old, and and at the time, I didn't really know. I wasn't experiencing any symptoms. They basically were able to just kind of look at the the anatomy of my retina through some photography they took and just could tell that I had it. I, I don't know the exact science, behind it but they were just able to tell and it was odd because my vision was completely fine I'm young I'm like in 7th grade and when you're that young stuff like that doesn't really sink in or, or whatever and I remember not even yeah, doing that upset not even being that upset by it or anything, but I could tell my mom was, but because she kind of knew what was looming up ahead, so to speak. And, but yeah, and from 12 years old, I, I was completely fine. You know, I went to high school. I was complete, honestly, no, no symptoms that I remember. You know, I had a driver's license. I played high school sports. I played football. I played tennis. I had no no issues until about when I was about 22 years old. 
and just started noticing that it was harder for me to maneuver in, in darker settings because a symptom of retinitis pigmentosa is night blindness because your eyes don't really adjust to the light in the room. You know, your eyes, typical, you know, your eyes dilate and adapt to how much light's in a space. Whereas RP, mm-hmm. it kind of, it's kind of dysfunctional in that regard. Got it. And, so transitioning from light to dark, or is it dark yes. to light both, both so, ways? Yep. Well, it's it's mainly from uh, light to dark. Okay. If I walk into a movie, movie theater is like the kind of the standard example. Mm-hmm. Finding my seat in a movie theater is essentially like I might as well be walking around in the dark. You know, you know, the sometimes I have to wait for key moments, like a daytime scene. So the the screen illuminates the mm-hmm. <laughs> the seat. Give it a, a night glow. A night glow, yeah. So, but it, you know, and it, and it makes going to movies kind of weird. I get there early and. I tend to not like get up to go to the bathroom and usually usually by the end of movies I'm like, all right, let's get out of here. I gotta, yeah. I gotta go out. <laughs> Drink um, too much Coca-Cola and eat too much popcorn. Exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> and but yeah, my eyes don't adjust that well in, in dark settings. And I remember in college I went to um I'm from North Carolina and I went to the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. And I was on, I was at Wrightsville Beach and there was like a meteor shower going on. And I was there with some friends and they kept spotting meteor uh, or like shooting star after shooting star. And I could not see one to save my life. And I remember being, getting flustered and like not, it not registering that maybe maybe RP is is starting to mm-hmm. have an effect on me, and then you know looking back on it, I think that's like the first time I can like state a a moment where I where it it affected me, and ever since then, you know, I still have majority of my central vision, and you know I'm not sure how much you 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 address this in like the intro, but. You know, retinitis pigmentosa affects your peripheral vision. So essentially, it's it's like the opposite of Stargardt's disease. It, it's I see the I have central vision, but my peripheral vision is kind of closing in, almost like you could call it tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, over time, my my tunnel got smaller. Mm-hmm. So kind of like if like what we did in elementary school, we made little telescopes with what what are they called? Uh, toilet paper and paper towel rolls. So if you were to like look through one of those, is that kind of the yeah, equivalent? That's a, I that's mean, a just good, to give in a general idea, obviously it's Yeah, you know, it's like not exact. You know, it's like if you make a you ever see it's like a behind the scenes footage of like a film director and he's like ho- holds up makes his like a square mm-hmm. with his hands yeah and he like holds up the frame and he squints one eye and like looks through it yes <laughs> it's like whatever's in that square window that he sees in that frame mm-hmm. is kind of like the field of vision you'd have 
almost like the the through the lens of a camera you know like what you see is what you get you know there's no like if if something isn't in the the, the frame then you're not it's not going to be in the shot right so i don't know if that's a good example no it's a great example it's a very it's very visual and very descriptive i mean not it paints a picture for me what what that i what it would be like for you and another thing about it too whenever it gets dark that field of vision that tunnel gets smaller mm, okay so basically the dark like it's it's like my enemy you know the, the the darkness is where you know rp comes out in full force you know and sometimes during the daytime mm-hmm. i feel like you know i'm like almost sometimes i forget you know i mean, i don't know if that's because it's norm normal for me you know i see what i see every day and it's becoming normal but i tend to only re- remember i have rp when it's dark or when I run into something I didn't see, <laughs> which is quite often. When it's right, no, I mean your your normal is your normal, right? And you live yeah. it every day, and that is, I think, for me when I always get on other podcasts and people always ask me, you know, you know, walk me through a typical day of how do you get dressed in the morning and how do you do this kind of. I'm like, I don't know. I just put on my shirt. I just. I do it a certain way in a certain position, but like I do it, right? So your normal is your normal. And exactly, you don't really notice things until someone actually like asks you specifically. Yeah. So yeah, no, I totally weird. relate on that. And then, <laughs> yeah, and part of you wants to, to like be asked those things because you want people to understand you. Yeah. But also part of you wishes that no one had to ask you anything. Sure. <laughs> and and sometimes you know if it's if it's someone really close to me I I'll I'll tell them about it and have them look I'll I'll, I'll suggest to them to do some research. That way I don't have to do it my I don't have to give them a lecture like you know retinitis pigmentosa 101 here <laughs> let me teach you everything about it and then it's like I'm the only source of your knowledge on this. Mhm. And I guess my recommendation would be, you know, if you if you have a disability, don't don't depend on yourself to educate everyone about it. Mm. You know, and I, I think that's good because you know, that's oh, why okay. I started my podcast, and that's why I feel like you have your podcast is mm-hmm. is just awareness, and you know, it's like it. If it's a topic that only you want to want to teach, and only someone's only going to hear it from you, then I think it is good to 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 use your voice in that regard. But wouldn't it be so much nicer if if you know, for example, if you're into if you're into like climate change, you know, there's so many documentaries, there's so many articles. Mm-hmm. That you can watch and learn and books to read. And it would be cool if people did that and dug into the disability community kind of in the same way. I don't know. That's like a that, that's a great I- idealistic. Example. Yeah, it is. 
it's idealistic, but you know, and it, the truth is, you're gonna care about your cause, you know, more than other people will. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I think that's the power of the internet these days and technology. And there's so much information out there. And I think on another podcast episode that I had with a friend who has a spinal cord injury and he commonly gets asked, you know, well, how do you, how do you pee? And it's like, you can literally Google that question. That's a very personal question. Uses a catheter, right? How do you use yeah. the catheter? I don't know. Google it. <laughs> yeah. How do you, like you can watch YouTube videos and tutorials on probably how to do that kind of stuff. So with a lot of like sensitive topics, and more like invasive personal questions. Yeah. I think it's, it's like, important to really educate yourself when someone tells you, you know, I have muscular I have retinitis pigmentosa. You know, what what does that look like? But I do think there's value in hearing a personal story, right? Because you're not going to get the day in the life of someone with a disability. You're not really going to read that on you just don't, it's not the same when you Google it, right? You're not getting that human aspect of it. Yeah. And I think the human story is like just, is the most important part of the story. But it's also at the same time, it's just like scratching the surface of what it is. And there's a lot in what I'm learning and what I didn't expect to realize and figure out. And I've learned this through starting my podcast is, most of, I, I'll say not most, I'll say half of living with a disability is is a, is a mental game. You know, it's like there's there's like some deep psychology going on with how how you how you view yourself, how you think other people view you, um, what you think your limitations are, how you embrace limitations. You know how, you know. Sometimes you 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 feel sometimes you feel negative, and you feel you feel bad about feeling negative about. It. You're like I should be positive. You know I should always have this positive mentality. And and it's it to me there's like a mental mental turmoil sometimes and a, a lot of back and forth on how should I feel, what should I be open about, and how common. Because you you know you feel like a little bit of an not an outsider, but there's you know you have a if you have a rare condition you you feel a little bit misunderstood, and it's a lot of back to my point is it's a lot of pressure to be the only source of education to the people around you on on what you're you're going through and. My advice for anyone listening, if they feel like people around them don't understand, you know, their your disability, or just suggest find articles, share share content, you know, you know, share this podcast around, you know, this is the kind of this is the reason why I started my podcast is because I wanted to be open about things. I wanted to have an open forum and it, it allowed myself to, in a sense, have a uh, free therapy and I get to get things off of my chest on mm-hmm. through, through interviews. And 
Yeah. Yeah. So I got a little off there, but... <laughs> but no, I think rant. those are all really valid points. It's It's easy to... And I've done so many interviews now on different podcasts and just news articles and stuff. And I don't want it to come across feeling like it's just a, a merry ground, like I'm just saying the same thing over and over again. But I think there's a lot of value in just every every opportunity that you get to share your story. That's a different net of a different group of people that are listening to it or reading it. And so you kind of have to remember that as well, that you're not always targeting the exact same group and you may end up being able to share your story with at least one new person that you didn't know before. And who, who knows what that can do to them or for them. So. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, yeah, I agree. And you know how like, Comedians, they they have that phrase like "know your audience," and sometimes yeah, yeah. you you, mm-hmm. you meet someone and you just feel like comfortable, and you're like, "I don't have to explain anything to them; they they're they're cool or whatever." And then some people, you feel like if you don't explain it, then they're not gonna like validate you. <laughs> sure, in the, sen- in the sense like they're not going to wrap their mind around. And a different perspective or an alternative reality than what than what they're used to, and you know, and sometimes you don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> sometimes yeah, you, the, sometimes like you said, you just you just want to be like Google it. <laughs> yeah, it depends <laughs> on your mood for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of want to know also about you know, to someone just says Google it, but if if they're meeting you for the first time. Obviously, it's it's an invisible disability, invisible visual disability, and to the normal user, you're just a you're just a dude that's wearing glasses. It looks exactly very, very hipster looking glasses, <laughs> right? And so I like the clear frames; those are cool. Oh, and yeah, so a lot of people don't realize that glasses usually can mean more than just you having some issues with fuzziness on the letters like it's a it could be a whole wide range of yeah. impairments so talk to a little bit about the difference in um, or i guess how people treat you yeah and i i think you know the hipster movement really has changed the uh the glass <laughs> the glasses game you know yeah <laughs> glasses are cool you know <laughs> People who don't even have a visual impairment are, are wearing, wearing cl- glasses. clear frames now. Yeah. <laughs> so now, so yeah, gla- so now glasses are kind of just blending into you know an accessory. You know, mm-hmm. I don't hate it either. I don't hate it either. I think it's cool. And um, <laughs> well, why can't we normalize all disabilities like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like how how would you feel if if like if like a wheelchair became like a fashion accessory, would that upset you or would you like that? Um, I think it would, <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> I think I would rather more so normalize it and yeah. just not get the weird looks about gotcha. it all the time. I think for me though, I have more of a futuristic looking chair. So I, I generally get fewer um, like, 
oh gosh, like here comes a wheelchair type. It's more like, whoa, that's the wickedest looking wheelchair I've ever seen. So I think just the way and also like your confidence that you bring with it also really changes how other people view you. And yeah. but, but I, isn't I that like hard though? See, it's hard. You talking about confidence, isn't it? Like sometimes you're not going to be confident, you know, and then it isn't yeah. that frustrating because then yeah. you're like, yeah. and then you recognize that and you're like, damn it, people think that I'm not confident and they think I'm sad in this wheelchair or they think mm-hmm. I'm sad with a, a white cane, you know, they, they, uh, well, that's their pity, you know, and they're projecting their, exactly. Yeah. They're projecting well, on how they view you on you, which is like exactly. Well, you may have a completely opposite viewpoint about that. Yeah, and that's well, not I, your place to to change necessarily their mindset. They have to come to that to their own conclusion. Yeah, I know, and that's that kind of goes back to my point: is just like don't ex, don't expect yourself to be the only education. If someone really wants to understand it, they're gonna to have to do their own research. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I let me let me go back because I don't want to get too far off. I, I liked your question about the <laughs> invisible uh, visual disability, and it's a kind of uh, it's kind can kind of be comedic in a way sometimes because how 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 do you you know say say let's just say I'm at a coffee shop. And I'm meeting, I'm with a friend of mine and that friend is familiar with me and he kind of knows what RP is and all that. But then mm-hmm. let's say he he invited a, a friend of his that I had never met before. And the new friend shows up and they go for a handshake. And, you know, since my peripheral vision is kind of wonky, a lot of times when people go to shake my hand, I just do not see their hand at all and then mm-hmm. they gave me this and then I can see their face look weird and then I look and I look down and I I had to like find their hand do you make a joke at that point like to laugh it off or are you like generally embarrassed sometimes I'm embarrassed and sometimes I you know at this point to be honest with you and it's it works, but it can be stressful sometimes. Yeah. If I know if I know I'm meeting somebody for the first time, I have to like pr- be proactive in the handshake. <laughs> okay. I I have to be the shaker. You know, I have to reach my hand out because they're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna come to my hand. I don't even have to move it. I don't have to search for their hand. So, mm-hmm. but sometimes you know you you can't always be on point and always be like cognitive about introductions and who who who's gonna show up where. And yeah. Some, and then and then then the, let's say you miss the handshake and then then the question is is your first interaction with this new individual going to be hey sorry I didn't see your handshake <laughs> I have <laughs> I have a I have, I have a vision dis- and then they're like what <laughs> <La-da-da-da>. <laughs> and and, and they're like um, whoa well I just met you like I'm just shaking your hand <laughs> yeah exactly so then you feel like this weird conundrum you're like well, I guess I just have to seem like <laughs> I don't know how to handshake. And now that person's first impression of me is that I didn't shake their hand well. And <laughs> no, then you have and, to li- and that can be very <laughs> off-putting. It really can. I'm not yeah. laughing at that, that it's, yeah. it's, it's actually 
because the first impression is is huge. But I guess on the flip side, there is a good thing about the pandemic where <laughs> someone comes out to reach, shake my hand, and I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, don't touch me, no touchy. Oh, it's been great. It's been great. Actually. Oh, I'm all for it because <laughs> it's actually starting to get more and more difficult for me to like. Just like having the action of like picking up my arm and then extending it and then shaking yeah. someone's hand. It's it's a process. It is. It's starting to become more yeah, and, and then more you, like I have to think about it. And then you don't want to like wear a sign or a shirt that like lists out rules or like, here's <laughs> how like, I want I'm you to disabled. interact with me. <laughs> don't shake my hand. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a, it's a weird balance you got to strike. And it, yeah, I, I think at a very just basic level misunderstanding of the disability community that people without disabilities don't think about is the energy people with disabilities put into hiding their disability. Even mm-hmm. if they're out in the open, even if they're yeah. they're they're broadcasting their disability, they are still hiding it whether they want to admit it or not because you know they're thinking of ways like you got to be a couple of steps ahead. You know, if you're going to a, a social event, you're going to analyze mm-hmm. the room. You know, I remember on your podcast, you you said you you look for key things of accessibility, like yeah, the bathroom and yeah, table there, height, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Just like overall general, and other people all the time. So that's energy you have to spend mm-hmm. analyzing a room analyzing where you can and can't go that other people yeah. just don't have they don't have to use their their that mental energy on that and mm-hmm. and t- sometimes i think it might be good i think it makes us a little sharper i think it it makes us be a little bit more analytic of spaces and people and like kind oh, of body bo- like body language and just kind of even I, I want to say like interior design, like we, like we're just very like detail oriented. Detail oriented, like in yeah. general, especially yeah, for those in the who have trouble with the built environment or just an environment in general where it's not where it's outside of their control. Especially those who are autistic, like it's a whole other ball game. Like a lot of from my interviews, interviewing autistic people, it's it's just you can't control anything and it's very off-putting. Yeah. yeah and you're having to think about everything and analyze everything. So yeah, detail-oriented is huge. And you know what I was just analyzing is, and I, I don't like to admit it. Well, I guess I guess I don't mind admitting it, but I was just analyzing this because, you know, I'm, I, I just analyzed myself. Who am I to be on this podcast talking about RP when I still have most of my central vision. There's people with RP who are younger than me, who who have lost more vision than me. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's like a comparable, you start, you even like compare the severity of your disability to other disabilities. And, and then sometimes you feel bad about feeling bad because you know someone else has maybe maybe their 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 conditions in more like critical like their health I don't know maybe their their conditions declining faster or has declined faster than yours and 
that's weird. That's a weird thing. I think that no one thinks about either is like, you know, I had a guest on my podcast and she said something similar. It was like, there's no such thing as like the suffering Olympics. Like, oh, I suffered more than you, (laughs) you know. But in a weird way, I do think about that sometimes. Like, I feel weird that I I have, I started a podcast about, you know, and talk to people with disabilities on it. And like, what makes me the, the voice of that? And I, you know, I don't claim to be the voice of it. I'm only speaking from my particular situation. And maybe that's my insecurity of feeling like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but I think that's just another thing that people with disabilities have to analyze is like comparing themselves to not only Mm -hmm. um, other people, just like anyone, you compare yourself with anyone and you also compare yourself within the disability community, I think. I don't know if you've seen the movie Crip Camp, but they talk about this disability hierarchy and I think it was the polios were at the top of the hierarchy. Like they were the most disabled. And then the hierarchy is ranked based on different disabilities, based on who is, like I said, more disabled. And is this like a comedy movie? No, it's, oh, it's incredible. It's, it was a recent Netflix movie that talked about the creation of the ADA and 504 oh. and just uh, the activists find it. There was a group of, a large group of individuals that helped to get that created and have that legislation passed. So it talks about like Judy Human and a lot of other people um, on that activism community back then. Something that we don't learn in our textbooks in social studies in elementary school. So highly recommend yeah. watching it. But, Definitely, well, check that out. Sounds great. But I think I was thinking that you were you were pitching it like one of those movies, like what's that old movie with? It's Ben Stiller. He's like a camp counselor, and it's oh, like uh, it's about. <laughs> I'm like, not much of a movie buff. <laughs> I, and it's it's about like uh, I know you're big kid, into kid, video production. <laughs> kids trying to lose kids trying to lose weight at a camp. And then Ben Stiller oh, is kind of this I, like oh yes, I have seen that. I forget. It's like called. harsh counselor. Yeah, that's what I thought you were. That's oh that, for no, some reason, no, no, no. Well, that's I was what just kind of like adding adding to your point that the disability hierarchy is very true, and it's just how it is how people view different disabilities based on how I don't want to say how crippling they are but just how like the lack of immobility or the lack of I mean visual and verbal and all of the different senses and those are you know so it's yeah but I without a doubt would never say you are not qualified to speak about a disorder that you have because you have it, like it's in your genetics, whether you're in the early phase of progression versus in the later phases of progression, that is the time of genetics. And that's only what your body can define for. And also there's other influences like 
the environment and stress and you know all these other external factors that contribute to any type of progressing disease. So yeah. your story is your story and I I would never I guess look down upon that. Own it, um what I would say. Because I'm yeah, trying I mean, to. I'm trying to. <laughs> Cuz like where I was, you know, when I was 14, I I looked normal. I I played competitive sports. But and you know, 10 years later, a very different story, right? I'm using a wheelchair full time. So you're just in a different phase of where it is, and then it eventually is going to unravel the way it's going to unravel. And that can be scary, though, especially with a progressive disability. I know all about that. Just you don't, the future is really, it's unknowing and it's scary. So I kind of want to hear more about how you're thinking about that, having your mom have it kind of like seeing her progression and then do you compare it to yourself or try not to? Yeah, well, I do compare it to myself, but I also, it's almost like a advantage to, to see how my, mo- how my mom's vision has been affecting her. Uh-huh. Because I'm able to kind of predict it. You know, I feel like Say I was the first person to, to have RP. I wouldn't really know what to expect. And I have used that knowledge to set myself, put myself in a different position. And, you know, my mom is, you know, I grew up in this small town in North Carolina called Hope Mills, North Carolina. And it's right outside of Fayetteville, North Carolina. And... You know, you you live in Atlanta. You know, you have some public transit. But for the most part, you know, the South and for the most part, most of America is very car-centric. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, whenever I was growing up, my mom was still driving. But I remember we had, you know, going back to the night blindness we would try to do stuff during the day. And if it was starting to get dark, I could see my mom visibly get stressed out while driving, you know, and as a kid, you know, you think your parents are invincible and that, you know, my mom can see good enough. She wouldn't Mm -hmm. drive us home and, uh, endanger us. And and I'm I'm not saying that my mom was irresponsible because my mom in my, in my opinion, can do no harm. But I was able to see, that's just one example, like transportation. So I moved to New York City because I wanted to live somewhere where I didn't need a car. I was already getting to the point when I, before I moved to New York City, I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I was still driving. I was, I I was, I just recently got rid of my license and I wasn't told to get rid of my license. I I did it. I made a, the choice to stop driving because it, driving was becoming very stressful and I was constantly worried I was going to run over someone. <laughs> and Oh, it's or, great that you did that. You took, you, you saw your own safety and others 
car yeah. drivers, pedestrians, their safety, and you made. And I started feeling selfish when I was yeah. still driving. I was like, "Why am I still driving? Like this is, like, mm-hmm. oh, this convenience of you being able to drive to work still is is that worth one the stress of of driving and having that being on full alert while you're driving that really could wear you down. And then also like, what if, you know, what if I did have an accident or hit a car or somebody and, you know, and that, you know, I, I look back on that now of with my driving experience and I, I look back in it. It's like stressful to even think about operating a car and I, I'm so I'm so happy that I, I nothing bad ever happened. So I, I basically quit while I was ahead, and I, I I decided not to drive anymore. So now I you know I can't drive drive anymore. And with most of America being very car driven, you know, being in New York City solves that problem. I guess an, another thing that you know maybe my mom. I feel I, I I'm not really sure where she is on her RP journey in terms of acceptance of it, mental acceptance of it. But you know, I grew up in the age of the internet, and and also having a you know a parent with it, I almost feel like I have a built-in support system. Mm-hmm. You know, with with my mom and my my sister, by the way, also has RP. And my I have an older sister and an older brother. And my brother does not have it because uh, retinitis pigmentosa is it isn't it is hereditary, but it, it's it's it varies. But for the most part, it's basically you have a fifty percent chance of passing on that gene. So two out of the three kids my parents had, you know, have RP and my sister's older than me, but my, my, uh, my vision is, I believe is worse than hers. And so that's a little different. And I, and another, another weird thing too is comparing when things started affecting my mom versus when they affected me, I'm seeing symptoms way sooner than my mom was, you know, so that can be, that's kind of alarming to me because, you know, my mom's, my mom is now in her, in her sixties and she can still see, but you know, she's considered legally blind. She, she's, she couldn't drive, you know, she can't drive anymore. And, you know, being in a car centric, part of the nation. She's reliant, very reliant on other people to get her around. And I grew, grew up seeing that and I did not want that for myself. I did not want to be reliant on having to ask people for a ride. And luckily I'm, I'm, I'm privileged enough to be able to make the move up to New York City and that I have a, a career that is just, just is sustainable here. But yeah, I don't know. I just I just really, 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 really am trying my best to, you know, use my mom 
as a like a as a guide, you know, the the pros and the cons, you know. My mom does have a good spirit about things and things like that, but you know, in terms of lifestyle, you know, I just think I wanted a little bit different of a lifestyle. And yeah. I could I could probably go on and on about <laughs> no, that. that. That was really great. I like how you were talking about just well, just overall and you do compare yourself to your mom, but you also see your yourself progressing more quickly or I will rephrase it as if she was let's say 20 and had x vision, you had that level when you were younger, like when you were 18. That's just like a general comparison. So I have seen it and it's true in in my type of MD that as it passes on from generation to generation, the symptoms get more severe. And so you're seeing those milestones much earlier. Yeah. I you know I didn't know that fact. That's very interesting. So yeah, I don't. I, I have no idea if it's true for RP or not. But you did mention that you are in New York City and that you take transit. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about transportation and how they have designated seats for passengers who have disabilities and the senior citizens. And it's you're, you're supposed to offer those seats to people with disabilities. Do you? That's funny. <laughs> because no get, one no one does that. <laughs> no one yeah, I know, right? And I'm wondering if if you've ever sat in one of those and if you've ever gotten weird looks or stares because of it or you just you, you know, don't even just try to do that. I I'll be honest with you. I think the 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 subway culture here is kind of Every, every everyone for themselves and there is an occasional and i think it's mainly when like subway carts are really full like if they're like packed where you know all seats are taken and and then you can only be on the cart if you're standing and to get support you have to put your hand on the ceiling of the subway mm-hmm. cart then i i've given up my seat for in those situations and if I see, you know, someone who I feel like needs my seat, I will, I will get up then. But in terms of like designated seating area, I don't think anyone really thinks about that, you know. Mm. And people will, I see it all the time where people will, will even claim that whole space for themselves. They'll put their book bag on one side, one bench, and then on the other side, they'll sit with their feet on the other seat. Yeah, and it's then true in Atlanta. No one respects yeah. it. <laughs> and then they ride, you know, probably, you know, 20 different stops like that, you know, just, you know, while they sleep or whatever. And, you know, I, I don't, and to be honest with you, they, they probably don't even know that that's what the seats are for. Probably not because they're either not well labeled, they're not enforced. It's just probably they're not enforced at all, and so that's exactly. And it's yeah. like, how, who are you? You know, when you're enforcing that, who's going to say you have a disability or not? Like, yeah. And then you and get into issues with systemic racism and stuff like that, and uh, police brutality, and I just don't want to add that into the mix. 
on top of that. So you just, yeah. you know. I mean, don't even talking, you know, we're in a pandemic right now and, mm-hmm. you know, it's literally illegal to not wear a mask on the subway yet. People resist it all the time. People are yeah. not wearing masks. You know, people think that people are across the, you know, it's, it's like, you know, people in like the Midwest or the South are the ones that are like being obstinate about masks. You know, I see that here in New York City all the time. People mm-hmm. even wearing masks on the train, but you know, it's not even on their face, it's on their chin. Yeah. And I'm like, what's the point of even having it? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a whole nother. You're, you're on the subway with a mask, but you're not wearing it. And right. now everyone else feels uncomfortable because of you. Yeah, I, that's I've, a whole, whole nother Yeah, issue. yeah, yeah. But yeah, and back to enforcing it, you know, it. That's we're in the middle of a, a pandemic where New York City was hit very hard and everyone is fully aware of the, or at least I hope they are at this point, unless you're, you're living under a rock, you know, uh, of the dangers of COVID and people are still not wearing masks. So if, if people can't wear masks, then people, I, I just are not going to be considerate to uh, assign seating. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's kind of, I, I have a negative view on that, it's, but that's just how I see it. Unless sure. you make it like, actually, like you said, enforceable where you get a fine, you know, and that's the whole point of making the mask thing, you mm-hmm. know, a law, but it's still not not really working. No, and then I also kind of want to know more about what kinds of accommodations that you would ask an employer for when you're working with RP. And then what do you really envision for how others can be supportive for you? If it's, you know, if movie theater, com- movie theater companies were doing better to provide assistance walking, helping, you know, lend a helping hand to walk into a movie theater. And that's like a very specific situation, right? But what are some scenarios that companies and people can help you? You know, when it comes to employment, you know, I get confused sometimes when, you know, when you apply for a job, it has, it has, you the like the last thing you have to, f- to fill out is you know do you have a disability right and sometimes i sometimes i click yes and sometimes i click no huh. and i wonder why that is yeah i don't know cuz part of me is like i work in a very visual industry you know i i'm a freelance video editor and part of me is like you know, I, I used to do more than video editing. I, I used to shoot a lot of video and I would, you know, work for these small advertising agencies in North Carolina where I would be the in-house videographer and photographer. And, you know, I was a one-man band. I was doing the lighting, two cameras and the audio. And Oh, wow. Yeah, and definitely getting severely underpaid for it too. I just want to throw that in there. But... <laughs> The the my my point is I basically quit all of that because it was 
I, I was faking it for too long. I would, I, I was on these sets and some of them are hard to, to navigate through because, you know, there's a lot of light stands and tripods and mm-hmm. equipment that's very expensive. And so you want to move slow. You don't want to knock anything over, but at the same time you want to be efficient and you want to like, you have a lot to do. And that same stress of like driving, you know, and and worrying about an accident kind of started creeping into other aspects. It was like knocking over, a, you know, a $10,000 light or, a, a you know, a camera that you rented from another company that is, you know, couple of thousand dollars maybe the whole camera package is right you know, and it's like if you grand. were to accidentally bump into it i mean if you haven't disclosed your disability is that when you then disclose yeah. it you know it's like you apologize and you're like wow i didn't even see it or i yeah. apologize and i have this and so a lot and it's my own fault you know I, I i will admit to that because i didn't disclose my i didn't disclose having rp to any of my employers until I was 28 years old. I straight up pretended. Wow. That's late. I know. And I I would say for about five years, I I was, at some points, I'm like, I don't know how much longer I can pretend this. And I got tired of pretending that, you know, oh, I didn't see that case that the equipment goes in and I tripped right. over it. I just didn't see it. But like in reality was I, you know, I guess I didn't see it, but I, you know, for a different reason, you know, and people wouldn't. And since they didn't know I had RP, they didn't really know to cut me a break, I guess, in that regard. I feel like if they did know, you know, they might've been a little bit more patient with, uh, workflow and things like that. But my fear was I am the videographer for this for this company. And it's wrong. Am I am I going to be viewed as less of a, a less valuable videographer? Am I the prime employee? Prime candidate for this videography role that I, I've been hired onto? if I have a vision disability. And for the longest time, I, I, I just, I just would pretend, you know, I, I, and you get really good at pretending, you know, you, 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 yeah. you, you learn the layout of your office and you know exactly where things are. And you know, you know, if, the, if there's a company meeting, you're the, you just, you you want to go f- get your seat first, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and you want to. No, yeah, sit. you start you start making excuses for yourself and yeah, start compensating and like I would I couldn't in high school it got too difficult to carry textbooks from class to class so I would hide them in the library because it was a central location. Yeah, in between classes, and so I would I would normalize that and be like, oh, that's okay. I walk through the library. And people would ask me, you know, why do you always walk through the library? And I'm like, I don't know. I just like looking at books. 
<laughs> yeah, you you figure out you get real creative with how you how you figure it out. Like, you know, you you asked about movie theaters. There, there was one time where I put that. You know how there's lights that line the aisles of movie theaters, or some of them, they like kind of they're on the ground and they're like mm-hmm. uh, little LED strips. So what I did, I always just. I always sit on the outside. I'm never center because mm. if I have to get up, there's no, it, it's literally impossible. For, it would be impossible for me to find my seat again without like turning my phone's flashlight on and just like upsetting a lot of people in the theater. Yeah. So I always sit on the outside and, and sometimes like I figure this trick out, you know, I, I can put, if I have popcorn, I can put it over the light. So whenever I I leave and I come back into the theater, I just keep my eyes on that that LED light that I can see. And then whenever there's just like this breach in the light that's being obstructed by, you know, my bag of popcorn, I know that's where my seat is. I love hearing this because it just speaks so much truth to (laughs) me just growing up and just all of these like wacky things that I would do to be able to just get by. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. And it's, it may look really weird to some people, but like if that's the way that's going to get you back to your seat in the middle of the movie theater because you physically can't see that's if you're just Philly, like yeah, oh and, and like you just get so, so cre- you get so creative, and I yeah. I was able <laughs> to hide it for a while, but I I was like I was starting to get to the point to where I, it was just draining my energy to hide it, and I yes. got tired of it, and and then yes. I told my employer, I actually told my employer because I was moving to New York at the time and I, I quit my job to move there and that was kind of how I explained my reasoning you know and then I, I kind of told myself from done on out I'm not going to shy away from from letting that be known and you know at, at working as a freelancer I still kind of run into this because I, I bounce around like I don't have a full time job so I, you know, before the pandemic, I would be in, you know, one office this week, then a different office the next. Sometimes I'm working from home, and you're meeting all these new people, and you know, go, you know, going back to my original handshake reference, you know, do you want your first interaction to to be explaining something to them about, you know, your vision? So. I always try to wait for just like this natural window to bring it up. You know, I don't want it to just seem like, hey, my name's Lance and I have RP and, you know, this is what RP is and listen and like, you know, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. So I, but sometimes, you know, that natural window never happens. Yeah. And that's why I use, you know, a helpful tool is social media because, you know, Everyone yeah, follows everyone. Google you. <laughs> yeah. So if you're if you're vocal about it on you know and you're mm-hmm. with your online presence, my theory is that you 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 the more open you are online, the more people are going to understand it. 
So I've you that know. is actually a really great avenue for people to disclose their invisible disability. Because nowadays we all want to be so, con- I mean, I wouldn't say everyone, but a lot of us want to be so connected with each other and follow each other and share each other's information and stuff like that. And it's easy. You pull up your Instagram and boom, right there. Has a, has a podcast, see through podcast. What the heck is that? Sees a whole bunch of disabilities on there. Why? Like, yeah. then you start getting curious. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, maybe like, Subconsciously, maybe that's why I started it. You know, mm-hmm. maybe that's one of the reasons was, mm-hmm. you know, I was looking for a way to broadcast to the world that I have RP. Maybe that was just like some subconscious way of doing it. It's definitely helpful. And I, I find that the more and more I talk about it and the more and more open I am about it, the better I feel about it. And, yeah. and I, I can't. Like if I have one goal for anything I do now when it comes to my podcast or like even coming on your podcast is just being an advocate for talking about your disability mm-hmm. and being open about it and the you know, the good and the bad of it, you know. Just just being open I think is just such like a game changer if if someone out there is kind of coming up with weird ways to get to their seat in the movie theater, I think mm-hmm. it'd be a lot easier if you just <laughs> told people. <laughs> yeah, well, it would be helpful if we were more proactive in the, especially in the built environment for you specifically and, and myself, right? If, if companies and businesses and developers were more proactive in a universal design, we wouldn't always have to walk around with this invisible sign that is lurking to be shown to whoever that we're meeting for the first time. So, and then you have to go and find out through social media. So, yeah. It's a, yeah, yeah. I just, I would always urge anyone, and especially who has, who manages aspects of the built environment to look. And then mm-hmm. for your specific situation, you know, what is that experience like going from light to dark? And yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, like I said, I'm as a freelancer, I'm in these off- different offices and I bounce around. And I have my central vision. So video editing is really not a problem for me, you know, which is why I kind of, I just kind of simplified my career to video editing. You know, I, I also felt like video editing was my strongest skill too, so it felt natural. But the this is an example. I changed my cursor size to mm. be larger because it's sometimes it's very, very easy, especially using multiple monitors, for me to lose my cursor. And, you know, and Apple has a really handy feature where if you shake your mouse, you know, the cursor gets bigger. And you yeah, kind of, I like, I use that feature because I like it too. Yeah, it's a lifesaver. And so I make my cursor size big. And then sometimes, you know, at the, I'm, I'm in these offices and people will kind of, producers will sit over my shoulder and they'll, you know, we'll go over some notes to the video together and make changes. And I, I you know, I've, I've had multiple people comment on, do you really have you you really make your cursor that big? You know, like 
because they That's don't such know. such a passive aggressive statement though. Yeah, and and they don't know I have RP because some you know, like I said, sometimes that natural window doesn't come out and you know, I don't yeah. I don't like to just make things awkward and just tell everyone, but you know, and and then I <laughs> maybe I'm too nice, but I could use that as an opportunity to be like, Yeah, I do because I have, you know, RP and a vision disability and I I can't mm-hmm. see if I don't make it that big and then I could just, you know, but you know, what's that gonna do to the energy in the room? So, but is it my responsibility? You know, maybe they, they could use that learning. They could use that learning, that learning lesson. So maybe from here on out, I'll just like make everyone uncomfortable just so they, (laughs) so they learn, learn their lesson. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It kind of can go two ways. They can, it can trigger people to be more empathetic or they can then turn into, wow, I feel so much pity for you. And, yeah, you know, so it's it's you never know how someone's and that's gonna react. Worse. And that's yeah, worse. that's definitely worse, right? Because then it's 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 the whole projection and, thing. And that that's another thing too. When you when you you talk about it, you feel like people some some people are just and they're wrong. You know, some people think that you talk about it because you want attention for it and you want the pity for it, but. It really, it's just a functionality thing. It's like I, I have this thing. I operate differently. It would be more efficient if you knew how I operated. So therefore, there's none of this back and forth and weird questions about my <laughs> cursor size. You just we, we just go over the notes and things happen naturally. Right. You know, it saves time and 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 it's just more effective. One, so I was in a um, like a manager coaching training today, and we our topic today was about microaggressions in the workplace. Yeah. And so I think that would be a very micro that would be an example of a microaggression, like a very passive aggressive statement, like why? Well, why do you need your cursor so big? Like, do you really use it like that? You know, it's yeah. like a put down statement. And the instructor came back with a phrase that said, "You know, I I can." I can see that your intention was probably genuine, but the impact of that was uh, it can be negative. And so, yes, I, I do prefer to use my cursor size that big. It just makes it easier for me to, to manage where I'm at, keeps me on focus, looking at these big monitors all day long. Yeah. I, that's yeah. kind of an easy way to to flip the conversation around. Yeah, and you know what? And I you probably f- have learned this too since you I've learned to I if I notice something like that, I just for some something in my my head just says figure it out yourself, don't ask them. You know, like like oh, they I you notice that their cursor's big? Try to like investigate it yourself to like figure out why their cursor's your their cursor's big. You know, or maybe just yeah. be a preference. Yeah, or just assume it's a preference. <laughs> You're like, oh, you know, when you see someone who's really talented at their job, and they they obviously know, like, say, a computer software in and out, and you just see them like working and being they're very efficient at their job. You don't mm-hmm. question their methods. You're not like, why did you right click there instead of go to to, <laughs> exactly. to the toolbar? You know. <laughs> You don't, you know, I don't know. It's just like, 
whatever yeah, works, I think you, works. You could also flip it around and be like, well, why don't you have your cursor this big? <laughs> yeah, like you should try it. <laughs> nice. Get on my level. <laughs> I think the small cursor is weird anyways. There you I see go. People, and people, people change their speed of their cursor too. You know, they make it real fast and, and they make their cursor small. Like yeah, they mine's really do fast. They, do they think do they think that it's gonna make their they're they're gonna be faster at their job because they can move their mouse faster? Uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it makes sense. I'm just playing the devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I would love to see data on cursor speed and productivity. You know what I will say? Productivity, you can be extremely productive using your keyboard far quicker than you can moving your mouse around. Exactly. And a lot of video editing is keyboard shortcuts. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. And that just brings up a whole other topic. I know we're getting out of time, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. a whole other topic of like web accessibility and just keyboard shortcuts. If if there if I'm on an application, I l- immediately learn the keyboard sh- shortcuts immediately because those are life saving and they save so much time. So I think in general, maybe this is me just projecting onto you, but as you continue to progress in your disease, you'll start probably needing to use more keyboard shortcuts because you'll be using a screen reader, right? Because usually those yep. people who are blind use screen readers. You may be 10 times more efficient at your job than those using a mouse all day long. Yeah, I agree. And <laughs> keyboard shortcuts that came are, to my mind. No, I, I, no, you're not wrong. And part of why I, I, another reason why I started the podcast too is because it is just audio based. And I feel like there is some longevity there in terms of, uh, you know, creating content or whatever. Cause mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I like to make things and, from movies to you know, music to podcasts, it's just I've, I've always just had fun creating things, and you know, you, you know, going back way back to earlier, talking about you know how do I you know analyze my mom's situation, you know, mm-hmm. I can kind of see the future and kind of start to plan for it now, and and you know, almost like build a little like nest for myself, yeah. and I can you know I can. I can be proactive and I can learn, you know, I haven't yet, but I plan to learn how to use a, a white cane and certain technologies and apps and things just to kind of get used to it. And, and to be honest with you, I, like being proactive is great, but every single day, you know, I'm learning, I'm adapting, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we, we everyone, Disability or not is adapting every day to their situation and surroundings. And I'm just trying to be a little bit more proactive, I guess, with uh, how I structure and set up things. Hmm. Wow. I think we'll leave it at that. That's so eloquently said to wrap it up. We are. We are adapting. At least I am every day. You are every day. Very creative. I think that's what makes us... It's our superpowers. We are out of the box thinkers and always thinking, analyzing, very detail oriented, far more than the average person. 
Yeah. So thank you so much, Lance, for taking the time to just share your story and being vulnerable and talking about kind of a little bit about what you would envision for what the world looks like to make it more accessible. Yeah. Thanks, Cardin. And you know, this was my first interview and I'd say it was, it was fun. I kind of, maybe I should just uh, stick to this side of things. Maybe (laughs) now I don't have to edit it afterwards. Yeah, that's the great, that's the best <laughs> part, right? <laughs> All right. Well, well yeah, talk you're, to you you're, later. You're a great host, and uh, so really appreciate you uh, having me on. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you, friends, for listening. Please rate and follow this podcast or text CART at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. Tune in next week for another disability topic.